Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Post 20 Podcast. You're now listening to episode 107 of the show. Uh, my name is Evan. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Matt. What's going on this week, man? Dylan, um, I listened to your last week's episode. Went well. Mentioned the wedding. Um, been back for a couple of days now. Back in the groove of things. The work life. I mean, it was easy to wake up in the morning like normal. My body's so used to it now. So it wasn't that much of an adjustment. Um, the games went really well this weekend. We both went uh, positive in our records. Evan went 6-4. and four. I went 7-3. Uh could have done a little better, just uh, some late last-minute drama in one or two games uh, that really shifted the balance of our records this week. But uh, overall, a very nice week. Yeah, it was, it was a good one. Um, we were talking a little bit earlier about kind of how things went, um, but it's nice to have some positive weeks. <laughs> I know it's been a while for us. Mm-hmm. All right, um, let's go ahead. We're not going to waste any time. We'll get into match day 15. We're recording this at a time we literally never record at, so um, I'm feeling a little bit more awake than I usually am. We have we had West Ham taking on Chelsea at the London Stadium. The Hammers pull through thanks to an Arthur Masuaku goal in the 87th. Um, game ends 3-2 after Chelsea dominate the first half. Um, they led 2-1, goals from Thiago Silva and Mason Mount, um, penalty struck from from West Ham. It led 2-1 going into the, the second half, but it was uh, it was all West Ham in the second. Jared Bowen scored in the 56th, and then Masuaku stole the game in the 87th with a goal. Wow, I mean, I, I just didn't see this coming. I thought after that first half we saw by Chelsea um, that they would most certainly come out on top. You know, there was always the chance for the draw. Um, but Chelsea were the team that were on top for most of the game. They dominated in terms of shots, 19 towards 11 from West Ham, 7 versus 5 uh, shots on target, and they dominated possession too. I, I just thought they looked really good, put out a s- relatively strong lineup. Um, got to see Havertz kind of really get in there. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know. It's good to see Mount kind of back and, and performing again. I know for a while he was... He just didn't seem to be featuring as much as as he was in weeks prior. Um, This, I think, more than anything, is just a really unlucky result for Chelsea. Um, West Ham always get that benefit of constantly playing as a unit. You know, this is pretty much the same team they put out every week. Um, Jared Bowen got on the score sheet. Haven't seen him score all that much this season, so it was nice to see that. Maybe that'll be a confidence booster for him. But uh, just, uh, I think, an unlucky result for Chelsea. This is one you really want to win, um, and a much-needed win for West Ham. Yeah, I think um, West Ham fought and clawed their way through this whole game and earned the points. Uh, You mentioned Bowen. I thought this is one of his better games this year. Very involved, very active. uh, Movement off the ball, getting in areas that um, Chelsea defenders were a little sleeping. Uh, They were sleeping on him a little bit. But um, based on the stats, from what I saw, it looked like a pretty normal game. Um, uh, possession heavily in Chelsea's favor, but uh, there were a lot of chances bo- going both ways. It was a pretty lively matchup, but that was due to a, a lot of mistakes on both sides. You had the Jorginho pass back to Mendy. Um, Mendy had to foul Bowen. Uh, Could have like, gone away with that. Um, if Jorginho was thinking properly, that's the second straight game now where he's had a, a critical mistake leading to a, a goal. 
Um, and then on the other end, you had Declan Rice uh, with a turnover in the midfield, which led to Ziyech playing a nice ball to mount off the volley. So, I mean, both sides could have cleaned things up a little bit, uh, but it was good for a, a neutral perspective. I think Chelsea are really missing that midfield presence with N'Golo Conte. He's 30 years old now. Um, Tuchel's come out and said it's not about his age. It's just um, he, he's a really careful guy. He takes care of his body with nutrition and recovery and that. But it's just a, it's a nagging issue now with that ankle that he just can't get an extended run in the team. So that's tough. And then we've seen Lukaku getting minutes now, uh, increased minutes, I should say, the past two games. Uh, need him back for a full 90 because he just adds that that um, dynamic change to the attack where he can hold the play up. He's a big physical presence rather than uh, a Havertz who has the frame. He's just not as bulky or you get the speed of a of a Werner. So you just need him. Uh, we mentioned in the pre-show, Thiago Silva was amazing leading from the back. I thought he made a goal line save um, off a volley from Kufal. He obviously got the first goal of the match. Just a great field general in the back line. Um, I mentioned Havertz. He does a nice job up there with Mountain Ziyech. Um, my one thing I'd say is Reese James and Alonzo were kind of neutralized due to West Ham and David Moyes coming out in the same formation as, as Chelsea. So they kind of just played man-on-man whose who's guy wins the matchup on the day. And, and obviously West Ham did. So um, set pieces were critical. They had a midfield dominance in there with Rice and Suchek over Loftus-Cheek and Jorginho. Um, and then, obviously, big performances from Bowen. And uh, Antonio did nice on the one assist. So, uh, And the last thing I'll say is the Masuaku goal was bullshit because uh, that fucking ball boy was sprinting. He throws the ball out and we're <laughs> caught off guard. And then that whole situation obviously happens. So that's kind of bullshit. But um, it was the biggest loss for Chelsea this season. I mean, they've never given up three goals um, I don't think they've ever given up three goals in a match with Tuchel, so that's uh, something serious they got to think about. Um, yeah, no, the one thing was, I, go ahead. I, I was just gonna say, I was gonna ask you, do you think that West Ham kind of put out uh, a blueprint to beat Chelsea there? They were pretty direct at times with uh, over the top balls, kind of pushed the back line back and open up space for the midfielders. Um, or do you, or do you think maybe it was due to the matchup? They played the same formation, so they kind of kept the game narrow. Yeah, I think more than anything, it's the matchup because playing over the top, we it's true that we haven't seen many teams try and do that against Chelsea and just kind of brute force it over the top. Um, mostly the ball gets stuck in the midfield or, or the wingbacks handle it up the flanks. Um, I think it's maybe a mix of those two things, but the line having an identical matchup, you know, like a mirror match, yeah. um, sometimes exposes some of the intricacies or the intricate issues with the format itself, right? Because every every um, every formation has a weak spot, um, a, a chink in the armor, if you will. And I just think that West Ham found it in this game. Um, they did kind of kind of just get the ball over the top, not have to deal with the wing backs as much because I think that's right. the strongest defensive part of Chelsea's identity. I know Alonso has just been slotted in, and um, you know he's not Chilwell. Chilwell was scoring a lot. But he is a good defender, and Reese James is an unbelievable player going forward and and looking uh, towards the back. So, yeah, I, like I said, I, I think West Ham kind of got a little lucky here too. Um, yeah. They absolutely fought and and really fought hard, um, and that's ha- half of luck, right? You got to try to get that luck in the first place. But 
Um, yeah, I, I don't think that we need to worry about about Chelsea or whether they're going to change that that formation or not because that they need to stick in that. They they play so well in that. Yeah, I don't think they're going to change formations, but no. I do think that West Ham just uh, solidified that they're going to be a, a top six, maybe top four team this year. They got a win over Chelsea now. Uh, they got a win over Liverpool. Uh, they were competitive against Man City. They were definitely outmatched, but they got the job done there. Um, obviously, no Ogbonna to, for the rest of the season now. Kurt yeah. Zuma goes down with a hamstring tendon injury. He'll be out until around Boxing Day. So now it's a serious problem. We talked about this months ago. Um, can they sustain this with that low squad depth? Two starting center backs out. In this game, they played a 3-5-2 to match Chelsea. Probably not going to be a normal normal um, thing that Moyes does. They'll probably go back to the four two three one. So now it's Craig Dawson and Diop in the middle there. So two guys on the lower depths on your chart. Um, we'll see if they can get the job done now because this is the most critical time of the year with the most congested of games. So um, one more injury to those guys and you're going to really have some problems. Yeah, that's absolutely true. All right, let's move on. Holy fuck, we took a long time on that game. Uh, it was important, though. So we have Newcastle 1, Burnley 0. This is a game we don't need to talk about all that much. All I have to say is Newcastle get their first win, and of course yep. it came against Burnley, who I can never pick right. Um, <laughs> I think I took a fucking draw on this game. Um, Newcastle looked pretty good. 19 shots versus Burnley's 10, or on target versus Burnley's 1. And the position or the possession was split pretty evenly. Um, Newcastle put out pretty much a full strength lineup. Um, Shelby and Willock in the midfield, St. Max out on the left wing, uh, Callum Wilson and Jolinton up top. Wilson's goal in the 40th was the difference in this one. Man, I thought Burnley would come to play in this one. I thought it'd be another draw. Um, but Newcastle finally get the three points they've been looking for. Um, and hopefully, you know, are, are on the up and up because I'm, I'm really just tired of hearing about, about Newcastle in 20th place. They are now level on points with Burnley in 18th and Norwich City in 20th. Yeah, they did just enough to get by here and they played to their, played to their, um, strengths. And mm -hmm. you mentioned the Burnley record were both six and eight pick in Burnley games this year. So low under 500. So it's not as bad as you think. Um, but for Newcastle here in this game, they focused going down that left front, the left flank where St. Max opened up the game for them. Obviously, their X factor. Um, and then Callum Wilson was a huge problem up front. Obviously, all season against teams that he's just very hard to deal with. Um, what do you think of the goal, the, the lone goal, um, how that decision went? Pope comes out under control and then his momentum carries him into the defense or the attacker. Uh, and the ball gets loose. Do you think that was a fair decision to let the goal stand, or do you think um, it was a foul on the Newcastle player? I mean, I I don't know. I mean, I I kind of feel that it was fair. You know what I mean? It's it is what it yeah. is. That kind of physical. Um, I don't want to say altercation because that's not necessarily how I see it. But that sort of physical play is is part of the game. Um, we've gotten away from it in recent years. Sometimes shit just gets messy in the box, and every once in a while, I think it's all right to see. So for me, I mean, I think the goal should stand that should have standed um, or stood, and it did. So I, I didn't think about it all that much, to be honest, after it happened. 
Yeah, once I saw it, I was I thought the Pope's momentum it was coming down, and he went into the Newcastle player. It wasn't like the Newcastle player made an effort to no, yeah, it's just collide with him or anything. It was yeah. it was it was the flow, and that's just what happened. Um, they didn't have Ben Me in this game, uh, and then Nathan Collins came in from the summer this year for them. He was their big signing. Yep. Um, I thought he did pretty well. Um, he made a, a couple clearances a couple clearances off crosses uh block shots i thought he fit right into the system there uh, but burnley you're gonna have some issues going forward with suspensions and guys just being out of form absolutely um hoping to see cornet kind of heat back up in coming weeks because yeah. he was really carrying them for a while okay we'll move on wolves nil liverpool one the difference is a divac origi 94th minute goal I have a question for you after we go over the game. Um, But I will say that Liverpool were pretty much dominant the entire time. Wolves were just really good in making sure that nothing went in for most of the game. 17 shots for Liverpool, five of those on target versus Wolves three and one on target. Liverpool dominated the possession with nearly 70%. Um, And man, they were just all over the place. They were all over Wolves in the midfield. A lot of um, broken up play. You have a really strong midfield here with Thiago, Fabinho, and Henderson. To me, another key point is Fabinho is very old, and he's still extremely serviceable. I mean, it blows my mind. Him and Fernandinho, like these older Brazilian guys, um, they just, you know, they're they're constantly... Actually, Fabinho's not old. It's Fernandinho that I'm thinking of. Uh, I was about to say he's 28. Fabinho's in his prime still. I always get them mixed up, but anyway. um, Fabinho is an extremely serviceable player. Forget that I said he was old because he's not. Um, And Hendo. Hendo is old. And he has been great ever since he's come back. I think Liverpool have really just been much stronger um, looking really sharp and having a direction. They win this game thanks to Divac Origi, who gets subbed in. My, my question for you is, can Liverpool actually get rid of Origi, or should they keep him? Because he is the most clutch sub I've ever seen. Yeah, I, was, I thought we were going to ask the same question. Mine was, um, I mean, he's cemented his status as a Liverpool cult hero. And, yeah. and my thing is, is, is he currently the best Belgian player right now? I mean, he might be. He just scored again yesterday. Um, I think this is like three games in a row, including club or uh, domestic and Champions League. This guy, you know, he scored that crazy goal in the Champions League um, the year they won. He just scores when they really need it. They get three points here just all thanks to him. You're putting out a lineup of what's up? I was just going to say, yeah, that late goal in the Merseyside derby yeah. off the crossbar. Yep. You know, it's Mane, Jota, and Salah. You can't get a goal against a Wolves team with those three, and you sub Origi on, and you get the goal. I mean, it, it's... Jota should have scored. I mean, the guy, yeah. six yards, no goalie, two players standing right next to each other in the middle, and yep. he smashes it right into Cody's, Cody, uh, Cody's nads. I know. I thought that he would score in this game. I think I said it last week um, when I did, did my show. Yeah, I really thought that he would have. He and he definitely should have. Um, but he it's, had plenty of opportunities. He had three great chances. He did. Yeah, it's crazy to me um, how much Origi scores when he needs to. It's a really underrated aspect of football, like the clutch factor. We see it more. You know, people talk about clutch in the NBA. They talk about it in the NFL. Big catches, big baskets. Um, but man, these big goals are important and they take all three points thanks to him. So I would hope that, that they really pay him. You know, I hope he kind of stays at Liverpool because 
He's he's a hero for that club, I'll tell you. Yeah, I think on the Wolves side, they've been playing. They played this game how they've been playing the last four to six weeks. They have very few scoring opportunities. I think they only had like four total shots with one on target, um, and they limit their opponents. Now, obviously, Liverpool's an exception, um, but they held them to few critical chances. I think Saw when he was called up, he'd made two great saves. Um, the one on the line from Thiago, um, as well as a flash to save uh, from Mane. Um, obviously, I think Wolves deserved a point in this game, the way they defensively played. But at the end of the day, you, th- you can make the argument that Liverpool just completely dominated this game, um, attacking and also in the midfield. So I think the I think it was a great result for Liverpool. This was a title contender's performance. Um, you'd need to get a win no matter what. And you saw from the coaching staff and the, the subs how much it meant to them um, just running around the sidelines. So I think it was a, one of the better matches of the weekend. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Um, what's next? We have Southampton one, Brighton one. Armando mm. Broya brought Southampton ahead in the 29th minute. Nomo Pai steals one in the 98th to level things for Brighton. I mean, what a sweaty game. I had a draw on this one, so I get out alive. Yeah. Um, 14 shots for both teams, four shots on target for both teams, and the possession is split directly down the middle. Holy fuck. I mean, this was a sweaty game. I watched a majority of it. I thought it was okay. Um, This is another kind of, I don't know, Southampton line up so strangely. Um, For two. Yeah, I know, but like, I just feel like Nathan Redmond, how do you feel about him? Yeah, like he plays so far forward. Like, I I just think it's kind of strange. I don't think he's. I don't think he has the legs to play out wide. It's mm-hmm. like Ronaldo. He's not going to play it at left wing anymore. He's just got to play a more narrow position on that field where he's experienced enough to know how to create chances for himself. Yeah. Or himself, and they have the younger guys on the wings. They got Elianusi. They got Nathan Tella. Yeah. Um, there's one other guy. I don't know the full depth of Southampton off the top of my head, but yeah, I thought. I, I think yeah. I think I think Redman is suitable for the level that Southampton is. I mean, at the beginning of the year, you're thinking Danny Ings is right there, yep. and they don't have to worry about Redmond playing there. But I think for, for right now until January, I think it'll suit them. They're getting points um, where it matters at times. I mean, currently they're 16th, only six points above the drop. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, they're, they're right around where we thought they were going to be after losing Ings. So... Um, they're going to have to scrape some money from the bottom of the barrel and hope to sign somebody on like a short-term deal. I mean, both of their goalies, I was going to save this for the predictions, but both of their goalies are out now, yeah. McCarthy and Forster, and they, yep. signed Willie, they signed Willie Caballero until uh, mid-January now on a <laughs> short-term deal. So he'll be playing this weekend against um, Arsenal. So Yeah. It's it's just a it's strange, man. I I don't think that the way Southampton are lining up is like because they're getting results, like they are getting points. I just don't know if it's a sustainable thing. You know what I mean? I I think uh, that they need a they need somebody dynamic up top. Um, bro, bro is Broha, Broya, however you want to say it, has been all right. Um, but I think you need a marquee player. Maybe not. Maybe somebody even better than than Ings was. Right? I don't think they ever should have let him go. To be honest, but um. I don't think it was up to them. I think the player wanted to move yeah, on. Yeah, I, that's probably fair. 
Um, but they definitely need somebody going forward because I think like what prowls and, and Romeo's good uh, in a defensive sense too. Um, I think their midfield's okay, but just a couple, you know, a younger guy up top, um, younger with experience preferably, um, would really help them. And Brighton get a point here. I I, I hate Brighton, dude. I actually do I, hate I, them. I, I, told, I told you that two weeks ago. I said I fucking hate them, man. I hate them. I just hate the team. And when I look at this team, I do see a lot of players that I... They have a lot of really good players. Yeah. Um, Trossard, I think, is really good. Kind of underrated. Uh, Mopai is another one of those guys. Kind of like Origi. He kind of gets it done when it needs to be done. Uh, and other games, he just goes ghost mode. He does, of course, get more time than a guy like Origi. Um, Yves Basuma is amazing. Uh, and Weipu is really good. And Lamptey... He's going to earn himself a move away from Brighton. I, I just, you know, he's been injured, and we haven't seen him play all that much, but I think that Lamptey's development is going to be just unbelievable. I think he has a lot of talent. Yeah, Brighton now have eight draws. All eight of their draws this season have come in their last 10 games, and in those 10 games, those other two games were losses. So they haven't won a game since, I think, um, what's that, September? Yep. So... They're, they're the worst team right now when it comes to getting a win. Obviously, Newcastle just got there, so um, they're, you can kind of talk about that. But um, my last thing about this game I'll say is the 97th-minute equalizer, Romeo gives up a stupid foul um, deep in stoppage time, about 25 yards dead center from the box. Um, Ward-Prowse, the decision. It was a FIFA decision where... You move one of your players onto the goal line to head the ball away. Obviously, in the video game, it works. But in real life, just that situation happens where it gets a rebound and the guy hits a flash shot and he's not quick enough and Mupai's on side where normally he wouldn't have been. So what do you, what do you think the process was in his head behind that decision? I have no idea, to be honest with you. Um, Me either. I, I just, I, I, that's what I can give you. I have no idea. I don't know what he's thinking because he's not the tallest and just have faith in your goalie. The guy guy's a Premier League goalie. Yeah. I if, I I feel like if if, you, if he's going to score on a free kick, it's going to happen. That's like one of those things where it's all talent from the player. There's nothing you can do. I will say like back in the day, like even 10 years ago, I feel like goalies were more of a This is this might be a hot take. I feel like goalies were more of a figure right i grew up watching a lot of really really good keepers um and i think now you see defenders boss the keepers more around like not there's just defenders but outfield players boss the keeper around more than anything i think they're a lot more quiet um i see i see a lot of like really messy shit happen between keepers and outfield players and lack of confidence and shit like that um I don't know. I don't know if you feel that way too or what, but it's it's strange. I think we've had a, a severe decline in, in goalkeeper talent. Well, I mean, with that injury to McCarthy, they're saying he was playing through a hamstring injury, so maybe he didn't have the same explosiveness to cover the that, that far post, so maybe he called Ward-Prowse over. Maybe that was something that we don't know, but yeah. he did get an injury, so it may be due to that, but Still, I mean, it was just very unlucky. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, all right, let's move on to... 
Man City. Oh, yeah. Manchester City 3, Watford 1. Uh, wow. I just I just want to right away say that Danny Rose is the reason they lost this game. Uh. <laughs> oh, my God. I watched the, I, my first note is it didn't take five minutes for City to expose Danny Rose's work rate. The guy is so bad. Yeah. Yes, he he's terrible. Every goal involved him in some way. The first goal, back post crossed. He didn't cover Sterling. Um, what was the second goal? Was it uh the second S- goal? Oh, was Bernardo Silva. Silva. Yeah, it was like Danny Rose steps up for some reason and collides with Grealish, and then it just leaves a bunch of openings, and it's like a counter. And then the third goal, obviously, doesn't close down the space on Silva, and he scores an absolute worldy. So, I mean, I think I think him starting is due to. Um, the depth of the team and they have injuries right now, but I mean he did get subbed off in this game too, so rightfully so. I don't, but I don't know if Ranieri should ever start him again. No, I agree, and he is, you know, he's getting close to when you put a a left back out to pasture. He's thirty one. Um, it's just, uh, uh, yeah, you're right. I mean he's just fucking terrible. Um, so City win three one here. Raz gets on the board in the fourth minute. I think he's one of their more consistent scoring threats. Um, Bernardo Silva gets one in the 31 and then again in the 63rd and then Cucha Hernandez gets one back in the 74th. Um, wow. City. I mean, they're going to get goals from every single guy on the pitch if they need to. Foden looked really good in this game. Grealish tried everything he absolutely could to get a goal. Um, I mean, I just feel, I feel bad for him, man, because I know that he really wants to score and I don't think he's playing that bad. He just can't get him to fall. Um, but this midfield, I mean, what what an absolutely stunning midfield. Bernardo Silva, Roger is a defensive mid, and then Gundogan. Um, for me, Silva's kind of the guy that stepped into that goal scoring in the clutch role that Gundogan was in last season. Um, Silva has a ton of goals, and I'll be honest, he's kind of reminding me of some of the star midfielders that City have had in the past. Um I can't believe that they were going to let him go this summer because he has looked yeah, right. unfucking real. Um, he's played all over the pitch. I've seen him play left mid, right mid in the midfield, um, and he just he looks crazy, man. And he's such a such a good goal scorer, kind of out of nowhere. He 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 did seem to be surplus to requirements um, in recent seasons. So um, good on Silva. I mean, I hope he he earns his. Uh, earns an extension, earns some wages, because I don't think Pep's going to want to let him go at this point. Absolutely not. And I was laughing when I saw that the subs they made, Mares yeah. and De Bruyne. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay. Yeah, I know. Just strange. Would you say Silva, Bernardo Silva is currently the best informed player in the league right now? He's got five goals in his last four. So I looked at Salas, he's only got three in his last five. Yeah, I guess we could say in the league domestically, yes, um, he probably is. And I think a more fa- I think a fair question is: he's the be- is he the best Portuguese player in the league right now? Yeah, absolutely. Have to say he is um, better than Bruno and and better than Ronaldo right now. Um, not not necessarily saying much. Ronaldo's thirty seven. He's <laughs> Bernardo Silva's ten years younger than him, um, and uh-huh. they're still in the same conversation. But yeah, um, my my other takeaway from this is. Um, you know, when, when De Bruyne is, is fully ready to play again, I know he, he did get subbed on in this game. He got some time. Um, took out for Gundogan. Do you take Gundogan out and put him on the bench? Because you cannot take Silva out. 
No, I mean, Gundogan's the captain every week. He'll, he starts, and either you start Rodri and Fernandinho, because we saw in the Champions League final that when they don't play a, a holding mid, they get exposed. Yes. So you have to have one of them, too. And then, um, I mean, you said Silva's very versatile. You can push him up into one of the wing spots and put De Bruyne in there, and then you just have a higher level of competition for those three forward positions. I mean, they, they're, they're six, seven deep in yeah. those spots and they're they could all start at any club in in the world it's so insane to me the depth um that city have i mean it's so gross you have guys like <laughs> mares and gabriel jesus coming off the bench um it's it's so crazy to me i i just can't believe it and they still don't have a number nine they still don't have a real striker and this is the kind of thing that they're doing i don't think you need a real striker anymore i just i think that I know everybody's still talking about the fact that they need a striker. No, they fucking don't. <laughs> I don't think they need one anymore. I'm going to be really interested to see when Pep leaves. Um, yeah. yeah. Like he said, in two years, if how the style is going to change and if those players stay at the club or they maybe they move on. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. Okay, let's move on. Holy fuck. We're being expansive this week. Um, we had... Leeds 2, Brentford 2. So a draw, an entertaining game. Tyler Roberts get gets Leeds on the board early in the 27th minute. Um, Chandon Baptiste scores in the 54th. Sergi Canos in the 61st. And then the man himself returns, scores in the 95th. Patrick Bamford draws things level, and Leeds walk away with a much-needed point. Um, Bamford was subbed on in this game. It was nice to see both of the strikers get a goal here. Tyler Roberts getting a, a well-needed goal in the beginning, putting leads ahead, and then Bamford coming in in the clutch and getting one for himself. Um, key takeaway, they need Bamford. They just need him. He's such a talisman player for them. He scored so many goals from them for them last season. He's so important to the identity of the club. Um, and then my other takeaway is, you know, Brentford are not going to be a team that are in the top 10, probably. I just think that they lack experience. They're in 13th here. I know earlier this season we thought maybe they um, could leg it into that, you know, 9th, 10th spot if they kept it going. But it seems to me they can only beat teams that are much better than them. They cannot beat teams that are on par or below them. So... Um, suspect, but uh, a, a good win for or a good draw for Leeds. You know they need to really start to shore things up, and seeing Bamford score is a sign of what's to come. I think. Yeah, the first half it was all Leeds from what I saw. Um, Leeds play with such a high intensity on the field that if if you don't even come close to that, you're going to get outworked, and the chances just aren't going to go your way, and you're just going to lose the flow of the game. Uh, Rafinha's assist to that Roberts goal was probably the assist of the week to me. Just the angle he had to whip that ball on, and it just it was placed perfectly for all he had to do was just tap it, and the momentum took it. That was awesome. Um, early in the second half, Leeds had a chance to extend the lead, but the Brentford backup keeper did very well. Um, he's doing nicely there, and then just Leeds doing Leeds things just against the flow of the game. Out of nothing, Brentford bagged two goals in, in seven minutes. 
and they just turn the match on its head. That's just how Leeds have been this year. It's just they lose a bit of concentration, and then now they're chasing the game. And then, obviously, the very end, they earned that point from Banford. So uh, not the way I initially saw the game going from when I, from what I watched. I know I picked this game as a draw, but Leeds should have won this game. Yeah, I agree. Um, okay, we had up next... I always have such a fucking hard time finding these. Okay. Manchester United won. Crystal Palace nil. Fred with an absolute stonker in the 72nd or 77th. I mean, what just amazing. Fred Fred has evolved. He's he's come back. He's here. He's ready to play. Too no, soon. I'll, I'm not I don't I don't believe that. <laughs> but never it, buying it. <laughs> it does seem like the media is is sort of talking about is Ralph Ragnick the Fred Whisperer, which I just find to be an unbelievable storyline. I mean, Every year he's been at the club, he scores two to three goals, and they're right around that area. So I don't I think it's anything out of the ordinary. I mean, if he scores back-to-back weeks, then maybe that's weird. Yeah, But it's that's like one of his three goals of the season. I think he's the Brazilian Maruan Fellaini. I mean, I just think he sucks. I don't think he's actually good. I don't think he fits into this United team. I don't think he should be playing at a club anywhere near the level of prestige that United has. Um, but you can't take it away from him. He scored in this one, and he gets all three points for United. Um, Palace continue their slide down the table, looking really poor in recent weeks. Didn't see much of the ball in this one. Only two good chances for them. Eight shots on target versus United 16. Um, but United held the ball, really controlled the tempo in this one. And they lined up uh, interestingly, too. You know, Ronaldo and Rashford up top with Fernandez and Sancho behind them. And then behind those guys, McTominay and Fred. Um, just a terrible midfield pairing. But. This seemed to work out. Um, spacing was a little different than I've seen in recent weeks, but that's just kind of what you're going to see um, with the new manager, you know, trying different things out. Yeah, I thought, I mean, Palace now in their last four are winless, three straight defeats as well. Um, they're kind of being humbled now after that strong start. It's kind of like how Brentford were. Um, but I think they played well in this game. It was tightly contested. Obviously, the the goal was uh, from Fred. They edged past there. I thought Palace at times linked up well up front. Uh, you can obviously see the chemistry between all the attacking players uh, due to consistently being in the lineup every week. So that's a plus there. Um, but they just couldn't find enough quality chances. Um, and I mean, when I mean quality chances, I mean I think ninety percent of their chances were from outside the box. They need to really figure out a way to break up those defensive teams. I mean, obviously United in the past recently is not a good defensive team, but they were structured enough well. Um, and I, I mean, the game could have been totally different because three minutes before the Fred goal, IU from five yards out off a, a set piece, just completely missed the goal straight across the line. So, I mean, if anybody else is there, I think they tap that, but yeah. I th- but the, for United, I th- I'll say this. They always looked dangerous when they were going forward. It always looked like they could have had a goal. Um, and I think overall, it was a great result for Ralph and for his first match in charge. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's move on. We have just three more games, I think. Tottenham 3, yeah. Norwich City 0. 
Um, Antonio Conte finally gets out of his team um, what he should. Three goals versus Norwich's nil. 17 shots on target. They didn't control the ball all that much, but when they did have the ball, um, Tottenham looked dangerous. Lucas Mora opened the scoring in the 10th. Gavin Sanchez, who we're starting to see feature again, gets on the board in the 67th, and Son Wangman in the 77th. So I think that um, Wangman Son is going to be a player that Antonio Conte absolutely loves. Um, we'll see how he starts to perform on a week-by-week basis now that things are starting to get set there. Um, but I think that those two are going to get along very well. And unlucky again that... Um, that Conte can't get a goal out of the Prince, but I think we'll start to see him maybe pick it up towards the end of the season because there's no way he just has a terrible season all year. I, I can't see that happening. Norwich, he's only, he's only got one goal. He's only got one goal. I know. It's terrible. Um, I, I kind of can't believe it, but um, Norwich are back to Norwich. Um, they're, it's going to be a couple weeks before they get a win again, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing I've seen now after three managers, Mourinho, Nuno, and um, Conte, that just the Spurs team cannot hold a lot of possession. They're just a ba- based on counterattacking from what Pochettino built. Um, I, my only note that I have written down was Spurs was just too much for Norwich on the counter, and then I said they were also sloppy on set pieces, so not too much, but. From listening to you, yeah, Harry Kane's Harry Kane was being force fed in this game. He literally was being forced to score and just couldn't. I think he probably himself had probably six shots on target. Um, but they said Lucas scored first time since February. He scored in the Prem. Um, obviously, Sonny D on the score sheet. Um, now they they've had a lot of COVID issues now with staff and players. They're yeah. saying eight eight players. And five coaches. This is they have their conference league game tomorrow, so they're going to struggle there. And this week they're playing Brighton, who is a team that can get something out of nothing. So I mean, this could be a very interesting next next couple games for Spurs if they're going to have a COVID crisis. They might they might even try to just postpone the game. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely a possibility. Um, we'll have to see. I mean, this all this COVID shit is like ba- is coming back because they're all worried about the fucking Optimus Prime variant or whatever it's called. Uh, just annoying. I thought we were past this shit, but it seems like we're not. Okay, um, Aston Villa 2, Leicester City 1. I thought Leicester would get away with this one. Um, despite a Harvey Barnes 14th-minute goal scoring first, um, City fall to Villa who get two goals from Ezra Kansa, one in the 17th and one in the 54th. Man, two goals from your center back. <laughs> what a way to win. Um, Villa and Leicester City, I thought, were pretty matched up here. Um, two, two managers that I don't necessarily know um, the future of. It looks like Gerard is on a severely upwards trajectory. Um, and Rodgers is on a severe downward trajectory. So that was interesting to see two opposing managers go up against each other and see what kind of um, game plans they had here. Villa looked good since uh, since Gerard's taken over. 
Um, and Leicester, I mean, every time I think that they're going to get a result, they, they kind of shit the bed, you know? Yeah, this season I've been the Leicester whisper. I'm I'm eleven and four picking Leicester games right now. Strangely, but I mean it's due to their their fitness issues and just form. They just can't constantly or consistently string some games together. It's tough for them. I thought this was enter- an entertaining game going back and forth. Leicester early on looked a more dangerous team, but ultimately them being shambolic on set pieces let them down. They're they've they're the worst team. When it comes to conceding set piece goals, um, and then I'll say the my other note was Martinez made probably a save of the week for me. Just if you guys didn't see the highlights, that was one of the best saves I've seen this week. Yeah, but Stevie G's kind of turned into that guy now. I mean, three three wins, one loss, and that loss was a competitive loss against Man City. So he's kind of figuring things out early on. Yeah. We've seen this this even this season with Rafa early on, Brentford, Palace. There's going to be a time where they hit a bumpy spell of the year. Um, but right now, like you said, they're on an upward trajectory. Their next couple games look pretty up and down this week, especially. They play Liverpool, so that's going to be a very sentimental game at Anfield for Steven Gerrard. Um, we'll see. I think they'll make the game very competitive, though. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, let's move on. Everton two, Arsenal one. Oh my god! This was probably one of the most depressing games. If you were an Everton fan, it was just a roller coaster. Richarlison had a hat trick with two goals being varred off sides, and then I think the bigger storyline for me for me personally was Arsenal had every chance to get at least at minimum a, a draw out of this game and they just could not get out of their own way. And I thought it was hilarious because this was the first game. Xhaka was back. (laughs) I listen, I said this, I said this, he, I hate him. Every time he comes into this team, I my confidence in Arsenal is just diminished. They don't play well when he's there. People say he unlocks Partey, and that's what Partey says. I, I to be honest with you, I don't give a fuck if I see Partey in the team anymore. I don't care. I'm over him. I'm over Xhaka. I'm over a defensive midfielder. Fuck it. Throw everybody forward. Get ESR in there. Get Martinelli in there. Let Odegaard play in the center. Slot Saka back. Put El Nenny in there. I don't care. I'm over Xhaka. I'm over it. Every time they put him in the team, Arsenal falls flat. They fuck it up. The The defense shits the bed when he's in there. I don't know if they just don't have confidence in him ahead of them or what. But our whole like back half just looks so bad in this game. So bad. I, it was so sad to watch, dude. I was so pissed off. When I saw the first goal get varred off, and then I saw Arsenal score, I was like, this game has 2-1 written all over it. And then it happened again, and the VAR happened again, and I was like, they might beat us 3-1. Because Arsenal aren't allowed to have luck like that. Trust me. I've been watching them long enough. I know how this shit works. And I just knew it. Richarlison had a good game, man. You can't take it away from him. He looked really good in this one. Um, Yeah. 
And I think it's karma. Because I just think it's karma for the Vardolf goals because they were both kind of nitpicky. The second one was really nitpicky. You know, his hand was offside. I hate that. I, I would have rather just seen him score from open play, you know? Uh, yeah. I don't want to get that. I don't want to see that get barred off. I just, I don't. But, wow, what a fucking shh. Unlucky game. And then they let Damari Gray score in the 92nd, which I just knew. I knew it was coming. I should have uh, I should have hedged, and I did hedge, but I didn't hedge enough. Um, I had Arsenal in this game, and when yeah. they were up 1-0 at half, I bet on Everton to win on the money line at, like, plus four something. So Oh, my God. Uh, I won my money back. I just that, I, I that's know. incredible. I just know. I've seen this team too many times and know what happens. And Everton were very due. Like they, if there was a oh, team yeah, that yeah. was due for a win, it was them. Um, yeah, but, they were. They've been the worst team. I think they've couldn't haven't gotten a win their last like eight since yeah. then. They were just going down. There was a, a scheduled walkout. Yep. Um, just the atmosphere. Just they needed that win so bad. Yeah. Um, I thought Arsenal. I thought Odegaard's goal was nice. Yeah, Tierney down the left, a one-two play with Lacazette. Martinelli had a couple chances, but it wasn't. He just couldn't get his form correct. Saka, I thought, got absolutely abused in this game. The, guy, the kid got he did, absolutely he beat. He took at least five challenges in a row in like an eight-minute period. Um, yeah. Maybe it was due to like just the the team change. Arteta changing big. Well, that whole left side. Yeah, all new playing together. Xhaka, Martinelli, and Tierney haven't played much together. Yeah. Um, uh, Nuno Tavares is probably the worst shooting wing back, left back yeah. I've seen. The guy, he had the header two yards out. It hits the post and then hits his leg again and goes out of bounds. And the the Aubameyang last chance goal, just so many chances. Just it just shows how out of form they are. Yeah. Arsenal lose two straight games now, still in a good place in the table in seventh, but yeah. you're starting to see that goal differential go deeper in the negative. Yep. Um, they're filling out to where potentially we thought they were around that six to nine area. Yeah. Obviously very early on, we're about to hit the halfway point of this, of the league in that around Christmas, but we're starting to ultimately see where these teams are going to end up and who they ultimately are. Yeah. I, Another thing I want to say, you know, somebody told me, a Chelsea fan I know, who just hates Arsenal for no reason, not not like Matt, right? I'm not, This is somebody else. They said, oh, it's back to reality for Arsenal. Like, you know, everybody thought they were going to be like a third or fourth place team. I was like... Who thought that? Nobody fucking thought that. Like, I didn't think that. I don't no. know if he was just trying to rile me up. Um, but... You know, this is a person that watches more AFTV than me. Oh, God. Just, so he's very, like, negative. Yeah, it's strange. It's very strange. Like, why do you care so much? Um, And, you know, it was back to reality for Arsenal. I was like, I, I mean, I, I don't think... I don't think anybody really thought that they were anything more than, than a eighth-place team, right? That's where I had them, wasn't it? There's only two to three teams in this league that you think are going to win every week. There are three good teams in this three or four. I'll give, I'll give West Ham good. Every other team is a pretender. United are a disaster. Arsenal are pretty much a disaster. Tottenham are a disaster that are slowly moving towards, you know, an upwards trajectory. All these other teams, they can't win. They can't win for the next five years. 
it's three or four good teams. And I just, Arsenal are not included in that. I would never claim that they are. I don't think they're a good team right now. Um, but that fucking pissed me off when he said that. I was like, n- nobody thinks that Arsenal are contending, dude. Like, relax. Yeah, you guys are still in a tough period in your scheduling right now. Next yeah. couple weeks are looking tough. Yeah, and it is going to be tough. Arsenal usually fare okay in the holiday period. Um, March. March is the collapse. And, you know, one of my um, older friends at Sports Arsenal, he's he's probably in his 30s, um, said Arsenal are doing March early. And I said, well, they might be doing it twice, but we'll see. Um, okay, that's the last game of the week. Thanks for listening to me rant. We'll move on to match day 16. All right. So we have some time here. These games don't occur until Friday. Um, UCL going on right now. First game of the week. It, wait, this is... Friday, December 10th. Okay, do we... Here's my question for you. Oh, another midweek thing? Or do we just predict them all? There's no shot. I, I need, me personally, <laughs> I've enjoyed the uh, midweek stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like we can do a Sunday Monday thing again. I think people enjoy it. Yeah. More. I mean, I, I wanted to say this at the end, but I'll say it now. Like the the viewership numbers like are doubling now. Yeah, they're or, up. I appreciate everybody new listening or showing their friends and family. Like it's been awesome mm-hmm. be seeing that. But um, and obviously with the more content, I, this is like a very seasonal thing. Once we hit January, it's going to go back to normal. But yeah, me personally, I know we did this last year where we predicted like two full weeks and like we had game we were predicting 18 games yeah it was hard really and hard like, just i need that information i need to know somebody could get covid yeah. after these games like it's i don't know and and of course health that's it's a huge thing i agree i just wanted to ask you i didn't know how where you were standing on that um yeah that's fine that, yeah the next couple of weeks are gonna be brutal yes they are okay so we'll run through these quick for you because we gave you 50 minutes of analysis we haven't done that in a while um brentford take on watford december 10th at 3 p.m this is the friday game that's an ugly friday game um like i said earlier brentford don't beat teams that are on par with them i think watford and brentford are kind of in the same spot right now watford are still going to be missing ismail asar i'm going to take a flyer uh i'm going to go with brentford i think they win this game oh damn i was going to pick brentford but you're two and thirteen with Brentford picks, so that's pushing me away now. <laughs> Fuck you. Um, <laughs> nah, I'll ride with you. The my reasoning though, like I genuinely think Brentford can win this game. Is me too. I, I think they have a better defense right now. Watford really struggling with the back line. Obviously, we were talking about pl- if you have to play Danny Rose, you're really in a crisis. Um, also, no, no Ismail are. Um, so they really have to rely on King and Dennis, and uh, Cuckoo's been a nice addition out there. So they're really going to be struggling on the offensive end there, and I think Brentford will struggle in this game. It's going to be very low scoring. No Tooney. He's out with COVID. Um, he obviously missed the last game. We have a suspension with Canos, so they're missing two of their top attackers. So I think this will be like a 1-0 squeaker, and I think Brentford being the home team will get the edge. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I think pretty much the same thing. Manchester City take on Wolves up next. I think Wolves' fortune finally flips. They're not going to win this game. City are going to batter them. I like City 3-0. Uh, City wins straight up. 
Yeah, both these teams defensively set up very nicely. Um, we've obviously gotten a taste of Wolves against similar competition last week with Liverpool. We know they can hold their own um, in the match defensively, but when it comes to attacking, I don't think they're going to have what it takes unless it comes from set pieces. That's where the only thing I could see them winning this game. But with all that attacking uh, play, all the attacking flow in Man City, I think it'll be too much. Um, but I can 100% see Wolves get something out of this. A few years ago, they did get a double over Man City. I think one of the only teams to ever do that in a, in a Premier League season uh, since the modern era of Man City with the money. So I can see Wolves get a result here. But I think just the this is a we're we're in the season seasonal period where this is where Man City makes like a 15 game run. Yeah, I agree. Okay, um, Chelsea versus Leeds. Chelsea heavy favorites in this one, and I think that they win. I don't think Leeds are going to get their you know much needed win in in this uh, fixture. I think this will be a highly contested game. Hmm. We saw last year Leeds got a draw um, at Ellen Road, but this is at the bridge. I think Chelsea wins this game. I think it's just the easier, safer bet. Um, but they will be without um, N'Golo Kante and Kovacic, probably. Um, who knows? Lukaku will be back here. I think that's a major factor there. Okay. I, I just think Leeds just they just collapse at times and they've they've done very well this season when it comes to possession. They're fourth in the league when it comes to possession, only behind the top three teams. Right. So they can control and hold their own with the way they play, but I just think Chelsea's attack will be too much. So I could honestly see this game being like four two. Yeah, I I can see that too. I can see it be high scoring. Okay, we have Liverpool taking on Aston Villa. Man, I can't wait to see this. Stevie G, um, is this game at Anfield? Yeah, wow. Yeah. So Stevie G comes home um, to face his club still at heart, um, even though he's in charge of Aston Villa. I think Liverpool beat the fuck out of Aston Villa. I think they batter them. Um, it's going to be really weird. I mean... I. When I think of a player that is the heart and soul um, of a club, I think of of Stevie G and Liverpool. Um, pretty much the first thing that comes to mind, you know, m- maybe a guy like Paul Scholes at United. Um, that's another thing that comes to mind. But you know, this is going to be a really, really strange game. There's going to be a lot of emotion, um, but I just think Liverpool are so good. And I think that they don't care who's uh, who's at the helm. I think that they just destroy Villa. I can definitely see Aston Villa's score first in this game. I think they've done a really nice job with Stevie G taking over. There's more structure to the team. Uh, there's more of a will and grit about them. It obviously comes from their manager. It rubs off. Um, it's going to be so, like, this is like Tom Brady coming back to Gillette Stadium. Yep. It's one of those types of emotional things. It's gonna, That's all people are going to talk about this weekend. I think out of all the, this is the biggest game of the week. Um when it comes to storylines, but I do think Liverpool win this. We've seen in the past how Liverpool can open teams up. Um, Villa have a few injuries here. Uh, Matt Target potentially might not play at left back, so we may see Ashley Young out there, and I don't know about you, but um, Ashley Young at the age of 37 going up against 
uh, Mo Salah in the form of his life does not equal a good um, outcome if you're a Villa fan. So I'm going to go with the, uh, uh, Liverpool here. Yeah, I agree. Okay. I uh, can't believe he's still playing. I mean, it's just so insane to me. Arsenal take on Southampton. Both teams need a win, I would say. Um, Arsenal in 7th, Southampton in 16th. Southampton arguably need this win much more. But I think that Arsenal are going to be the team to come out on top. They have lost two in a row now. I think they line up well against Southampton, who are still figuring things out a little bit. Um, and I think we get a good performance here from both teams. But I think Arsenal edge it by a goal. Um, so I'm going to go with them. At first, when I saw this matchup, I thought a draw. But doing some some little research into injuries and suspensions after that Brighton game with Southampton. Uh, Salazu, their main center back, is suspended with uh, five yellow cards. So he sits out, as well as their main holding midfielder, Romeu. Um, and then we mentioned already, both goalies are out. So Willie Caballero comes in goal at the age of 41, I believe. So I'm leaning towards Arsenal here. Okay, cool. Uh, alrighty, what do we have next? We have Norwich City and Manchester United. Not going to go into this one. Norwich not winning this game. United win um, 2-0, I think. Yeah, United. Okay. Um, Burnley take on West Ham. Another one I don't really feel like I need to get into. Um, I'm taking West Ham in this one. I think Burnley have another week or two of poor performances before they um, get back to grinding shit out. I like West Ham in this one, especially coming off uh, that huge win against Chelsea. This is one I really question because West Ham, I can definitely see West Ham losing points here. Yeah. This is one of those games where after they after they have such a big performance, it kind of falls just like things go don't go their way because after the Liverpool win, they lost to Wolves. Obviously, Wolves is a different type of team, but they're like defensively they're well structured and don't score very much. Um, and Burnley's kind of the same thing, so I think this is probably going to be my flyer. I'm going to pick Burnley here at Turf Moor. I think this is a Cornet show. Both of their center backs for West Ham are out, so Dawson and Diop are back there. Cresswell still dealing with that a little bit of a knock from running into that post, so. I don't know what their back line is going to look like. Everything else is going to be the same. So I'm going to take a chance with Burnley again. Okay. Uh, we have Leicester City taking on Newcastle on Jesus Sunday. Christ. Yeah, this is a suspect one, but I don't think Newcastle are getting two in a row. I'm going to take Leicester. Um, honestly, dude, Roger's job is going to start to be on the line here. I know there was talk about maybe him taking over at United come the end of the season when um, Ralph Reidick moves into that, um, not management role, but he'll be upstairs, right? He'll be in the front office. So I think Lester needs to perform, and I think uh, Rodgers knows that, and I think that they do perform and they win this game, probably 1 or 2-0. Not going to be a high-scoring affair, in my opinion. I'm on the opposite. I think this is going to be an absolute scorcher. Yeah. I think Leicester's defense is sus they, as well. No, they Newcastle, they suck. I think this game could be like three two. Um, it's so tough because I love Newcastle's counterattack style. I know 
for a fact, Leicester will dominate the possession. Newcastle on the like, Leicester on the counterattack have been pretty bad defending. Set pieces, Newcastle isn't that bad. Um, I think I'm just going to go with the possession and Tillemans might be back. Um, we saw Daka get minutes, or I should say the start last week. So um, Vardy status, I don't know what's up with him, but he'll be well rested. And I think they get the job done against Newcastle. Okay, cool. Um, Brighton take on Tottenham. This game could be interesting. I don't think I have any draws picked. Um, yeah, I was thinking about it too. I'm going to take a draw on this one. The COVID shit could be weird. This game could get postponed. Who the fuck knows? I'm going to take a draw. I just I think there's too much going on here um, at both clubs. Tottenham's in flux, kind of getting things squared away. Um, I don't think they get two in a row. This would be three in a row, maybe. Um, I don't Four. Remember. Four. Four in a row. No way. Uh, I'm taking a draw in this one. Both teams have a lot of COVID issues, a lot of injury issues, a lot of suspension issues. Brighton, no dunk. Shane Duffy picked up his fifth yellow in the last match. Um, Webster's probably going to be out. Veltman. So pretty much all their center backs are going to be out. Um, so that's a good sign for Harry Kane. But I don't know who these COVID players are for Spurs. I don't know who's going to be out. So I honestly don't know. I can't base my decision off of that, off not knowing. But I think with the whole Brighton back line being out, I'm going to go with Spurs. Okay, cool. Um, up next, we have Crystal Palace versus Everton. This is the most draw game I've ever seen. Uh, Everton still suck. Palace need points desperately after sliding. I like a draw on this one. I don't think Palace win, but I do think it's a decent game. I think after that result we saw against Arsenal, the the fashion they won, how they fought after each VAR goal was removed. I think that was good to see. You saw Ducore back. He was a big, big difference in that midfield for them. Driving forward. Crystal Palace, like you said, sliding a bit. I don't know. If this game was three weeks ago, I would tell you Palace all day. But with this, like with the choices Vieira's making in that starting back line, starting Klein and Tompkins... I'm going to have to go with Everton here. All right. Fair enough. I mean, if I had to pick a team for it to go, like, in their direction. I could, I, I could see this game going anyway. But so can I, I. Yeah. So, I, I literally, I could change my mind in five minutes, but I'm just going to go with Everton. <laughs> okay. All right. We won't talk about it anymore then. Okay. Guys, we're just uh, around an hour here, hour and two minutes. I want to thank you for listening. Like Matt said, viewership numbers are up. Um, so I really appreciate that. Hello, welcome to all our new listeners, and thank you for staying with us to all of our old listeners. Um, until we see you next time, I will ask you to check us out on social media at Twitter and at um, Instagram, Post20Pod uh, are the handles for, for both of those platforms. And we are on Spotify, SoundCloud, and iTunes slash Apple Podcasts as well. Um, if you want to listen on a different platform or, you know, whatever one works for you is most convenient. That's it. That's all I have for you guys. Um, we have for you guys rather. And, um, 
I guess we'll see uh, whenever we do the next show, which will probably be pretty soon. All right. Take care and uh, we'll see you then.